Hello and welcome to another episode of We Are Listening, where we bring you stories and experiences of individuals who have trod the path that they recommend others to walk on and adapt. I'm your host, Pulkit Garg, founder of Anya Wellness. And today we embark on a transformative journey into holistic wellness, exploring the intricate connections between the mind, body and spirit. And our guide on this voyage is an esteemed practitioner in the field, the founder of Self-Love Harbor in Miami, United States, Stella Vidal. She wears many hats, a mental health counselor, a wellness coach, a Reiki healer and a guide in meditation and breathwork. Her journey is not just a phenomenal pursuit, but a personal odyssey into the realms of self-discovery and well-being. So let's dive deep into the journey of holistic wellness with Stella. Welcome, Stella. Thank you so much, Volkan. It's super excited to be here today. Pleasure is all ours. Stella, why don't we start with understanding what mental health means to you? Yes. So many people are talking about mental health now, right? Especially, I believe, after the pandemic, uh, you know, we realized that mental health was crucial and uh, it kind of opened the door in the conversation about mental health. For me specifically, mental health is the ability to regulate our emotions along with maintaining a balance between your mind, your body, your spirit and the environment. That in a nutshell is mental health for me. And why is it really important to focus on mental health? Well, mental health is actually the building block of who we are. We can have a healthy body, but if our mind is not functioning at its optimal level, we're not going to be able to achieve what we think we're capable of achieving. So if we are off balance, let's say we're having intrusive thoughts or we feel exhausted and fatigued, we are not going to be able to have the life that we deserve. So mental health really is super important. I would say just that as important as our medical well-being and um, in that regard. That's so true. That's so true, uh, Stella. And, you know, before we get further into our conversation, why don't you share about your life journey with our listeners and what got you into being a holistic mental wellness coach? Yes, thank you so much. So I was born in Cali, Colombia, and I was born to a very traditional Latin family. By that, I mean, my dad was a very strict, um, authoritarian father who was, I believe, a little scared of my spirit because I was always very much into uh, kind of curiosity and exploration not just physical but mental and spiritual and i didn't i don't think he understood me very well so you know through his stress levels and things that happened um in colombia he sometimes became physically abusive he was definitely emotionally abusive um and tried to you know with his own fear kind of squash my spirit Um, However, I don't think he was able to do that. And fortunately, at the age of 16, my family was able to come to the United States because we got approved our visas. And within two months of knowing that we had been approved, we moved to the US. Uh, For me, it was incredible because I had always been kind of obsessed with the American lifestyle. And I was actually uh, very fluent in English because I attended a bilingual school. 
So I immersed immediately into the American way. I started to attend um, my high school here in the United States. So I turned 17 and I began 12th grade, which is our senior year. And within the 12th grade, I realized that everybody was talking about going away to college. And I, you know, they were talking to the guidance counselors and they all were preparing for that. It was basically all they talked about. So I went home one day, I'm like, dad, I want to go away to college. And he must have been having a really bad day because he looked at me and said, you going away to college? Yeah, you alone? Forget it. You're going to either be a drug addict or a prostitute. So no, you're going to stay home and you're going to help me raise this family. So at that moment, I looked at him and I realized that I would never be able to convince my dad of who I was and my capabilities by talking to him because I was kind of tired of that. And at that moment, I realized that I was the only way that he was going to see who I really was, was by doing what I felt I deserved. So the next day I went to school and I talked to my guidance counselor, Mr. Beck, Mr. Beck, help me apply to college. And he's like, yes, come on in. So we applied to several schools and within a few weeks or a month, I was in class and my best friend at the time came in scared and she's like, Stella, Stella, your dad is here in school and he's holding this letter and he's really mad. He's waiting to speak to Mr. Beck. At that moment, my heart sank and I went into fight or flight mode. I was like, oh my God, I'm in trouble. My dad opened an acceptance letter and I'm going to get a beating. So I, at that point, I asked another friend to take me to my house. We went to my house during lunchtime and I took all of my clothes out, threw them out of the window into his pickup truck. And I left my home six months after being in the United States. I didn't know my plan. I just knew that I was done being abused and being disregarded. So at that point, I started just staying in my friends' houses. The parents opened their doors to me. They embraced me because they understood what, what was going on. And I just stayed focused, focused. I studied my booty off. I started to get great grades. I actually got a full-time job from 3 to 11 at a gas station pumping gas. Wow. I saved my little money. And before, you know, I would say four months before the school was done, I rented a little room from a woman um, and I had my own space. My furniture was a mattress on the floor and some box crates that held my, <laughs> my clothes. Uh, but I was so happy. I knew the reason why I was doing that. It was because I understood my power. My spirit was so strong. And I knew that I wanted to help people overcome challenges like I'm like myself. So I ended up graduating with honors and I got in a minority honor scholarship. And that's how I went away to college. My parents did not talk to me for years, um, but I was focused. I was like, going on, I'm going to get my psychology degree. I'm going to help young women to, to overcome these, these horrible challenges and help them be stronger and find themselves. So I was going to school very focused. And then two years later, my dad found me through my friend and he asked to meet me at a hotel. And we went to the hotel and he had a dozen roses. 
and he gave them to me and he said these are the roses i should have given you on your graduation from high school so we cried we embraced and i forgave him and i didn't ask questions he didn't ask any questions but we started our our relationship all over again um several years later i moved to florida and this, this is where I found, I um, got my master's degree in mental health counseling. And basically since the age of 19, I have been working in mental health in different capacities. I'm 54 now. So it's been a really long road. Um, after the pandemic, I decided that I wanted to stop working for other agencies like I've been doing for so many years and mm -hmm. open my own space because I saw the need people during the pandemic, I was doing virtual sessions for different companies that were sending me referrals. And I saw people's fear and um, just how they were going literally crazy, uh, being stuck inside and feeling isolated and confused and afraid. So I decided that I was gonna open Self Love Harbor, even though my husband thought I was crazy because <laughs> I it was a pandemic and he's like, you open a business? You're opening a business in the middle of a pandemic? And I'm like, yeah, watch me. Just like I when I was 17, right? And I opened it and really has been one of the best decisions of my life. Uh, two years after that, I got uh, the 2023 Best of Florida Award for Mental Health Practices. Wow. And that was just like oxygen to my mission because I realized that people voted for this and that I was really making a, an impact. So uh, I'm continuing my mission and, you know, providing voices to those who are not able to speak for themselves, teaching people how to find the strength from within to believe that their passion is real, real and that they deserve to pursue it. So here we are today. That's my story. <laughs> Well, kudos to you, Stella. Kudos to you, and what an inspirational journey! Thank you know, you. I'm more or less uh, out of words. I don't know how to frame my <laughs> thoughts after listening to this journey. It's been uh, such a, you know, inspirational ride, uh, and you sharing your story in such a, you know, positive manner. Uh, it's something, uh, you know, really remarkable and to be applauded because many would not uh, share this journey in the manner you have shared. They would probably yeah. have a lot of more negative instances and a lot of you know baggages coming in and that's what you know really brings me to my a thought that's been that was going on continuously i have seen a lot of children in my friend circle as well as uh, in general as well the childhood traumas or the childhood scars often which are knowingly unknowingly you know divided by the parents they tend to be stored as fears in a child's mind and yes. those sort of become a conditioning for a very long time and it keeps impacting them even if they turn 60 years old even when they become they themselves become parents so how yes. can one really you know navigate this path and overcome this uh, these heal these wounds of childhood trauma and the scars that are left by parents that's such a great question thank you i completely agree with you. We have those narratives, I call narratives that are given to us by our parents. You know, those, it's almost like we are implanted a chip that doesn't belong to us, right? Because usually, as, as I mentioned with my dad, I forgave him because I understood that he didn't know any better, but still the trauma was inside, you know, my mind, my body stored it. And my journey has not just been a journey of 
helping others, but healing myself, right? Because there was a lot, a lot to heal from. And one of the things that I would tell people is, if you find yourself as an adult who is struggling, there's always a need to go back to our childhood to explore and without fear or denial, kind of put all the cards on the table and hopefully you can get a professional to help you with that. So you put the cards on the table and you say, okay, you as a child are born perfect, divine, and curious to, to, to meet the world with open arms. But what happens is our parents, because of their fears and challenges, they make us scared to be explorative and open and, and to see our own divinity. So with a professional, you can start looking at when did this intervention of negativity start? How did it start? Then you start to kind of pull it out and look at it and remind yourself that that is not your fault. I always say whenever there's an issue between a child and a parent or an adult, it's always the responsibility of the adult, not the child. But unfortunately, especially when it comes to abuse and sexual abuse, we carry that shame inside, somehow blaming ourselves that it is something that we must have done or we must have deserved it. And so my reminder to all of my patients and anyone that I can speak to is, it was not your fault. It is not your narrative. It is not something that you need to carry because it, it is not for your highest good. So little by little, you pull it out, you talk about it, you let go of the shame, and you understand that you were perfect and something happened, but then you can go back to that perfection, but it's even a better perfection if that's even a thing, because now when you remind yourself as an adult that you are that good and that you are divine, then you have the experience now to make it even stronger because now you survived all that, then you understand, hey, you know what? I am beautiful, I am powerful, and I deserve to be happy. So now you're a force to be reckoned with because you've overcome those challenges. But I so agree with you. And my practice, I mean, all week, I when I when whenever I have a new patient, I always tell them, hey, let's go back to your childhood. And a lot of times people are uncomfortable. They don't really wanna talk about it. They're not ready, but then I explain to them, we wanna make sure that something that must have might have happened in your past as a kid is not still affecting you today just exactly as you mentioned in your question right so most of the time we find that and we i help you reinterpret what happened with the mind of an adult and that way you can free yourself of the chains of you as a kid thinking that it that it was your fault i hope mm -hmm. that answered your question no totally totally and one more question, uh, you know, I had uh, to ask, which yeah. again, many people find very difficult and probably that's one of the major root causes of a lot of broken relationships out there, the power to forgive. Your journey in itself is a testament to the power of forgiveness. How do you find that power? Because many would not be able to find that, you know, the very first step or even a thought that okay after going through all of this uh, adversity i can forgive that person who made me go through that trauma so how do you find that power to forgive and how can others you know really start their journey on this yes I, that is so crucial and 
Whenever I speak and I tell my story, people come up to me and ask me that. How did you do it? How did you forgive him? And I believe that if I had not forgiven my dad as young as I did, I don't think I would be here today. I don't think I would be able to be successful the way that I'm succeeding today. Because unfortunately, forgiveness is an energetic force. Um, just as much as anger and resentment is. So we are spiritual beings, we're energetic beings. And if we carry the energy of anger and resentment, it is only hurting us internally. It is only impeding us to view from viewing life from the mindset of I am perfect and divine, right? And another important thing though, Whenever I work with women, especially that have overcome sexual abuse or trauma, I never, ever, ever talk about forgiveness at first because we have to be very sensitive to the timing that everybody has within themselves, right? Uh, mm -hmm. First, there's got to be some healing that happens from within to where we accept ourselves first and realize that, hey, you know what? That was not me. That was not my fault. This, you know, this shouldn't have happened. Once you sit with that and you realize that you are a whole human being and you start to function as such, then eventually you might have the capacity or the desire to say, hmm, I still have this thing that bothers me. And every time I think of this person, I just get pulled down again into that the energy of sadness, depression, guilt, and shame, right? So if you find eventually that force that's still keeping you down, then perhaps that's when the, the time is appropriate for start for us to start talking about forgiveness, right? But it's a very individual process. Um, some people flat out have told me I will never forgive and I have to respect that, right? So as far as myself, I think it was because I have always been, my spirit has always been so powerful. Like when I think back at the age of 17, being homeless, not knowing the answers, and I was just showing up every day and going, right? So there was something about my spirit that really carried me and supported me through it. And I think that's some of the reasons why I was protected from severe damage from, you know, what was done to me and, and my ability and allowed me to, to forgive that when I did. And, you know, it takes a lot of courage to take the stand for yourself for and at the age that you took the stand for yourself, that was a pretty young age. Many, again, are always in a doubt whether are we doing it right, whether we are doing it wrong. My question comes in, like again, I come from an Indian culture background, a Hindu family where respecting elders is one of the utmost uh, thing you have to follow. Like it has to be there if you're not respecting them you're not a good kid now yes drawing that line and finding that you're taking a stand for yourself versus disrespecting your elders how do you really define that line how do you really tread that path to be ready to face the consequences as well because it's not always that the steps you're going to take they're going to move in your favor they might even go south so yes. how do you prepare yourself and probably find a balance between all these things that I just mentioned. Yes. So what's interesting is that I am the oldest of four kids, um, actually five, but my, my little brother died when I was six years old. Really? So as, yeah, and thank you. 
So um, out of my four siblings that are alive, I was always the one that was the most respectful. Um, almost like the quote unquote good little girl that wouldn't speak up for herself and would always do you know what was needed. And up until many years ago, I, my mom would always say, oh, but, you know, Stelita, she was the one that would never, you know, speak up or whatever. And, and I stopped her one day and I was like, mom, but that's not really necessarily healthy, right? It's, it's, it's important for us to find the balance between a parent having authority over us, but also understanding that children are people, you know? And I, when I speak to parents that are having issues with their kids, I tell them that their kids are people, they're just smaller. But many times kids have a lot more wisdom than adults, you know, and I know for, in your culture is a very uh, specific way that you are to um, to respect your elders and such. But I think the new generation may be kind of um, evolving to a more um, balanced perspective because the young generation is able to to speak their mind, you know, respectfully. And hopefully, eventually, it will be a, a more a balanced and, and equal conversation than, no, it is because you do it because I said so, you know, that's so unhealthy. And as adults, it really provides the message that you, your voice is not enough, that um, even though you have needs, the needs of others are more important than yours. And that's where codependency begins. You know, I treat so many people that have codependent relationships because it stems from childhood where their parents were more important than that and um, when a child would wake up they would open the, their bedroom door and look around and say okay are they in a good mood is this okay okay then if they're in a good mood and things are good then i'm good and that's so damaging you know that's so damaging because it strips you away from your ability to say my feelings are as important as my parents feelings and if they're not listening to me i have to find a way to share my how i feel i remember when my dad told me those horrible words that if i left i would be a drug addict or a prostitute at that moment my there's something something clicked in my mind and i said Stella, he's never going to hear you, right? I used to sit with my dad many times when I would try to express my feelings to him and he would sit me in the living room for hours and I would cry and I would beg and he would tell me those were crocodile tears. Just stop it. And so that really damaged me for a really long time because I was people pleasing all the time. I, if I felt something, I would swallow it because I felt like what I feel is not as important as what this person here is, is telling me that they're feeling. So really is, I my hope is that, you know, with the older generation and the new generation, that they can all come to terms with the fact that we are all on an equal level. And because it is the level of humanness. And when we are all accepted as human beings, then we're able to express ourselves and be heard, right? Totally, totally. And I agree with you when you say that we have to be in a codependent bond over there, symbiotic bond. Whereas our elders might have the years of experience coming with them. The newer generation, us, we know what's happening in the world right now. So yes. If there is a way to find 
a common ground on this i guess that's more powerful than somebody just commanding you to do your next steps and yes. uh, just uh, laying down the path for you and not allowing you to you know really experience things out in the world right is very disempowering you know and i think a lot of times when parents become kind of stiff and and strict that way it's really out of fear if you think about it if they're afraid that their kids are going to get hurt and you know that's that's the reason why it was easy for my da- for me to to look at my dad as not my father but a, a man who was flawed and had fears right and when you look at that at people with that perspective you're able to separate your emotions and make more informed and objective decisions but when a parent really uh, as we say it here in in America is you stuff shots your own um opinions and you expect your kids to to learn them and to exp- and to do what you say you're only taking away their ability to be self-sufficient one day and to really stand up for themselves you know because yep. if you submit all the time that's what you learn and as adults as you mentioned before in the first question is you know we kind of perpetuate those those messages that our parents give us when we're children